Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, I welcome back actor, improviser, singer, dancer, musical theater, funny man, Mark Baratelli. He is a four-peat guest, not a three-peat. This is his fourth show. Really happy to have him back. Now, before we begin, I do need to give a shout-out to a new Tutti Frutti, Vincent M. Hi, Vincent! Thank you so much for supporting the show. Tutti Fruities are what I call my Patreon supporters. If you would like to support the podcast every month, you get a shout-out, you get outtakes and extras from every week's show, you get first exclusive access to the other podcast that Matthew and I do called TV Talkaholics. That's where we discuss movies and shows that are facts of life adjacent. And if you don't want to support the show monthly, don't forget, I am set up to receive one-time tips. So all the links to that stuff are in the show notes and on the episode's webpage. So... Please join me in welcoming Vincent M. to the family. Now on to this week. I've got good news and i got bad news. The bad news is Matthew is not with us this week. The good news is it's because he's got some work going on. I can't say what, or I, I, I don't know if I can say what, but it may or may not be. Uh, a return engagement to a major theme park tourist destination. Uh, it, it might not, though. So, I mean, I, I don't know, and you don't either. So why are we even talking about this? But anyway, it sucks Matthew didn't get to be here. It would have been really fun to have uh, both him and Mark in the same room. But anyway, Mark and I had a great time, and I cannot wait for you to enjoy it as well. Mark Baratelli and I discuss Season 7, Episode 22, called Big Time Charlie. And the original air date was March 29th of 1986. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Mark Baratelli. Welcome back, Mark Baratelli. Oh, we're starting now? Well, yeah. I'm sorry. We are now starting. Okay. Three, two, one, and ball change, go. Okay. Welcome. Hey! That, that oh. I was, I was going to start because I'm the host. Okay. okay. I haven't acted All right. in 10 years. Yeah, I, I can see that. Mm. So, welcome back, Mark Baratelli. Thank you so much for having me. This is quite weird because we are actually here in my grand room. I'm recording at home in, in person, with, I can touch it. Matter of fact, there, I just touched you. I got touched. Mm-hmm. I got touched. Weird? weird? Weird in that I've been doing this by Zoom for so long now. Yeah, so uh, pleasant? Exceptionally thrilling? Well, we haven't, I mean... Well, Wonderful? Let's, let's see how well weird? we do with the show. Let's see. Let's see how that okay. goes. Yeah, that's true. I, need, I do need to prove myself. Yeah. I mean, is it because Matthew doesn't want to come over to your house? Uh, true. 
because is that it he bitches he lives down like this is far that's what i thought i thought i assumed that he lived in that area of town and it, this is far have you driven there before you ever driven to disney world honey <laughs> yes yes i have. I don't not i never if i never go back to that area yeah i never have to live with that drive once or once or twice i have made that drive he's like well david i'd rather go to someplace in florida like he's like he gives me shit for how far away this is it's too bad matthew wanted to be here and matthew is unfortunately and fortunately gainfully employed this week so his uh schedule's crazy and uh i got a show to crank out i have got tens of listeners who are demanding a weekly episode from me and i'm not gonna let them down mark baratelli but i am very happy to have you here it's good to see you good to mm-hmm. socialize with you mm-hmm. and have you back for your fourth appearance on this podcast how crazy is that four yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was two. I thought this would be my third. This is your fourth. Your first one was season one, episode seven, called Dieting. That's the one where Sue Ann is trying to get thin and Blair is calling her fat and Mrs. Garrett tries to eat a green pepper. Okay. That was your first one. Okay, I don't remember that. And then your second one was season two, episode 15, called Free Spirit. When we met Mrs. Garrett's son, who was a musician on the road and was lying about being a big-time musician. Why is your face contorting? I don't remember any of this. <laughs> okay. And then the most recent one... I'm just shocked I don't remember it. ...was season four, episode 16, Let's Party! That's mm. where we met Tootie's brother, and we learned... Tootie's brother. ...he has a drinking problem. Oh. Wow. <clears throat> It's it's okay, Mark. Well, it's pandemic time. It's, it's been rough. It's good. Alzheimer's affects people oh, of all yeah, ages. Does. All ages, ethnicities. And I yeah. mean, you know, you're Clearly closer it's... to you're closer to sixty than you are to fifty. So it's you know kind of anyway. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's now true. it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, what we're about to discuss here mm-hmm. uh, is season seven, episode twenty-two, called "Big Time Charlie." The original air date was March 29th of 1986. Uh, The show had been off for three weeks. We didn't have new episodes for three weeks because they did two weeks of reruns. And then the week prior to this, instead of Facts of Life, uh, the entire hour was preempted with a TV special called Nell Carter, Never Too Old to Dream. It was a musical special where Nell Carter got to do her Broadway Mm. singing, dancing, strutting her stuff. And it is on YouTube. It's in three parts on YouTube. And I will share it. I'll put it in the in the web page of this. And uh, this in this case, it's probably good that Matthew is not here because, you know, Matthew has a long uh, negative traumatic history with Nell Carter. So it's better that we don't speak her name. When could you do a TV guide summation of his feelings towards her? He's met her. Yes. Okay. Um, first <laughs> he, of all, he met her at a meet and greet, and she was a total. Oh, cunt. okay. Yeah. So, uh, but this week we're back with a brand new show. It was written by Bob Meyer and Bob Young, who are producers and regular writers on the show. They have written before, done several episodes, and we do have a little um, anomaly here. This was directed by Stephen Robman, R O B M A N. This is one of only two episodes this season not directed by their in-house director, John Boab. He did every other episode this season. 
So I guess he needed a vacation or wasn't rehab or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but this Stephen Robman person is a fairly well-decorated New York uh, theater director to the point where if you look up his IBDB credits at the Internet Broadway database, he was the artistic director of the Phoenix Theater from 1980 to 1982. And that is the theater that first originally produced Christopher Durang's play Beyond Therapy. Have you ever heard of that play? Mm, no. <laughs> yes. I, I love your hum of recognition. And then, no. <laughs> For people really into plays, less, less musicals, more into plays. I mean, Christopher Durang is a fairly well-known playwright. That was one of his early popular plays. And it was produced a ton in the 80s and 90s. And it was a play that had homosexuals in it so um real ones or were they straight people acting like homosexuals probably a little bit of both oh yeah Ooh. um but anyway so he has 54 tv directing credits in a 35-year career almost all of them are one-offs except nine episodes of the tv show sisters and then this one little clump in his career where he produced 56 episodes and directed 22 episodes of Party of Five. Remember that show on Fox? Yeah, I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. It was Matthew Fox before he did Lost. Um, and uh, our director, Stephen Robman, has been married to actress Kathy Baker since 2003. What has she been in? A uh, TV show called Picket Fences. Mm. In the movie Edward Scissorhands, she's the slutty neighbor. Oh! She's one of those actresses that you're like, I want to, I want to see more of her, more mm -hmm. roles, like with her in it. Yeah, she That's is fun. one of the like the greatest character actresses of her generation, and I mean, she's probably in her 60s now, and she's a ton of credit. She's never not worked, but she's one of those. You show a picture, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. her. But Picket Fences was probably her highest profile thing. It was her and Tom Skerritt. It was a TV show and it ran a few seasons. And I think she was at least nominated, if not uh, awarded, some Emmys for that. Tom Skerritt, never without mustache. <laughs> True. Yeah, and shouldn't be. He's like a Tom oh, Selleck. Oh, does he have a big upper lip? I mean, just like a Tom Selleck or a Burt Reynolds, it's like the, the mustache works and it doesn't look right if it's not there. Yeah. 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 Can you think of anybody else like that? I want to make a joke about a woman, but I'm not that fast. <laughs> Lainey Kazan. <laughs> Barbara Bel Geddes. <laughs> Unrecognizable. The fuck the <laughs> um, so, Mark, now hmm? is the time when I like to put my guest on the spot. This is where I ask you to give me a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode that you just watched. And remember, if it runs too long, Matthew Arter will criticize you. He can't do it here in person. He will make sure to do it next week. I promise. Go! Joe's dad goes Gordon Gecko and fails. Bravo! Beautiful. Greed. For lack of a better word, is good. <laughs> now, if you put that next to the original recording, it won't sound anything like it. And that's not really important. It's important that I remembered the words. It was as like I Michael spoke. Douglas was here. Mm -hmm. It was like he was here. Mm -hmm. So, well done, sir. I, I cannot speak for Matthew, but I suspect he will approve. Uh, you can tune in next week and find out. Okay. But now we're ready to do our more in depth analysis and dissection. 
And uh, this is another one of those shows that there, there are several anomalies here in that we have two cut and dry stories. We have an A story and a B story, but typically Facts of Life episodes don't. Typically, everybody is involved in one singular narrative line. But in this episode, we have two. That's not the only time. It's just a rare occurrence. And uh, the other thing about it is uh, both of them are very flimsy. <laughs> I'm very happy that we had two of these because if they had tried to make one episode out of it, it would have been a little bit, uh, it would have been pretty bad. But in general, in general, as we, before we get into it, I want to say I, I like this episode. Me too. I don't love this episode, but I like mm. it. It's, it's on one of the better things. And I think it's because I love Alex Rocco, who plays Joe's dad. And he has been on the show several times. And his arc, his character arc, has been, when we first met him, he was in prison. Oh. And he gets out of prison, and then he's gotten a little bit of a job, and he gets a better job, and he's able to help Joe out with college. And now to find him at this point where he's even higher up, he's hit kind of a pinnacle, and to see that he fucked it up is a little sad. But the nice thing is that the relationship he has with Joe is that it's it survives this. That's a great thing to see that the father-daughter relationship can survive him doing this and... Uh, he doesn't seem to beat himself up too terribly over it. Well, yeah, she, I mean, I guess we're going to go plot by plot, but she definitely has a hand in keeping that relationship positive, mm -hmm. especially in the final scene. True. But I don't want to give it away. No, it's fine. We, we can talk about it when we get there. So the first scene takes place. Oh, good. We're going to do this. Are you excited? <laughs> oh, Mark's yes. excited. Mm -hmm. So um, we start off in uh, the living room. No Mrs. Garrett. No mention of Mrs. Garrett. Mm -hmm. She's still supposedly away with her sister, Beverly Ann. Right. And as, as I've learned from your show, mm -hmm. she wants out of this show, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because Mark Bertelli, you're not just the hair club president. You're also a client. Mm. You're not just, uh, let's face the facts, multiple guest appearing. You are also one of my biggest fans and a Patreon supporter Member of the family. Yes, Queen. It's <laughs> such a good show. Thank you. You're That's welcome. That's sweet. So Mrs. Garrett had been away visiting and supporting Beverly Ann, her sister whose marriage was breaking up. And then we did know that Mrs. Garrett was on her way back to look after Blair's baby sister. And she was with Beverly Ann in the Winnebago, somewhere in New Jersey. And now she's nowhere. And there's no talk of her. And that's weird. But whatever. Not nearly as weird as nobody is minding the store. Not one mention of the store. And I think in every single scene, we somehow get all the girls. Like there's no way there's anybody watching the store unless it's George Clooney who does not appear in this episode. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, you I, in your last episode, you said they closed the store for a three-day weekend. Yeah, because why not? Blue. Yeah. So maybe today or this, you know, this week they're like, ah, eh, screw it. No one buys this crap anyways. <laughs> Let's go deal with this suitcase. They're all at the mall at Spencer's Gifts. So we're in the living room and uh, there are a lot of flowers everywhere. And Joe, we learn, has had all of these flowers delivered to her and they're from her father. And that's uh, weird. 
-hmm. Hopefully we're going to learn more about what that's about, Mark. Mm -hmm. And then the B story also begins underway where Tootie is upset because Natalie is late getting back from the airport because Natalie has just been in Miami and Tootie lent her uh, her brand new camera and Tootie for some reason wants or needs her damn camera back and will not let fucking go of wanting this goddamn camera back even though at no time is it ever a because xyz important thing is happening that i need to photograph yeah she does never defines why this camera is important did it cost a lot of money nothing it's just it's important to me accept yeah. that as truth just an excuse to make Tootie a whiny pain in the ass. And it's like, ooh, I just don't like Tootie in this episode. Almost all of her lines are either angry or sarcastic. True. True. And there's no room. I am, I'm not an angry or sarcastic person at all, Mark. So, no. you know, that's why I don't like them. That's why I don't I'm either. When I see it, I run the other way. Mm -hmm. Now, was she pregnant during this episode? No. <laughs> She is 16 years old. <laughs> no, she's not. Tootie? She's, well, in the world of this show, she is. She's not a 16-year-old human, is she? The actress, Kimberly Fields Esquire. You claim to listen to this show, Mark Baratelli. Oh, Are you telling me you do not know the age situation with Kim Fields? Uh, okay, maybe I haven't listened to all the episodes. Okay. But uh, I pretend like I do, and that counts. Uh, at the moment... Only within the last few episodes, I had a shit conniption because they de-aged Tootie another year, which they had already done previously. So at this point, Kim Field started the show at 10, playing 12. Oh, this is where Matthew goes, oh, Jesus, yeah. we're going to deal with the age. But they've de-aged de her a year twice now. So now... Kim Fields is caught up to Tootie. So Tootie and Kim Fields are both 16 right now. So no, she's not pregnant. What? She is a busty teenager. She has a beautiful, curvy figure. And I think it's really, really wrong of you to be body shaming like that. Oh, it's not body shaming. I thought she was pregnant because she's so huge. No. <laughs> Finally, Natalie does show up and uh, got her suitcase in tow. And she says, oh, uh, what a wedding. She talks about the wedding where it was apparently a... Uh, multi-religious wedding where we had a rabbi and a priest and all that stuff and it was in Miami I just want the record to show your honor that last week Natalie was around and the week before she was absent because she was supposedly in Fort Lauderdale with her grandmother where we know they've gone to stay in the past so we do know her grandmother lives in Fort Lauderdale so are they telling us that Natalie, who doesn't have regular income and doesn't go to school, has been able to fly down to Fort Lauderdale, come back for a week, and then fly back down to a wedding in Miami. Why wouldn't she have just ganged those two trips together? Yeah, she could have gang-banged them two together uh, and ganged. save herself the dollars. Yeah, hmm? ganged, you, meaning combining is what Right. I mean. Now, she is, this actress also is not pregnant. Okay, Mark, Mark, so she, Mark, uh, here's Mark, the thing, no is like is when you go to, a, it probably was a destination wedding, which in that, I believe, because I don't know, because I don't have any friends who are this wealthy, they pay for your trip down to wherever the destination wedding is. So she probably did not pay for these tickets to go to the wedding. 
Was there a My, wedding in the episode? She went to a wedding, right? She went to a yeah, wedding, okay. but I don't consider Miami to be a destination. Well, it was the 80s. I mean, Florida was not even, it was inhabited by what? You know, retirees and alligators. So it's, it was in a exotic locale. <laughs> you have to take everything in context. Okay. But you're okay, right. It's so not a I guess that's how we can, we can explain this way. Let's, let us operate under the assumption that Natalie's trip was paid for. Mm -hmm. And so she's gone to Miami and come back. That's cool. So Tootie is, of course, where's my camera? Where's my camera? Where's my camera? And uh, as she goes into her suitcase to get the camera, we learn that she has borrowed this suitcase from Blair. It is a one-of-a-kind designer suitcase. Yes. I wanted to talk about that. Did you have something to say about it? Talk to me about so, it. So uh, I've been, uh, I've studied uh, high-end designer handbags not necessarily luggage this was a few years ago when i was going to do a little business on the side um and i looked at the bag it was it, I, at first i thought it was a steamer trunk because i really wasn't paying attention and then it was a tiny bag and I, there's not an ident identifiable brand to to me i couldn't i couldn't see a brand um you wondered if there were the c's on it like it was a coach bag or something would that have Blair existed? would never use coach you mean chanel the C's on it? The double C's? But, but right now, aren't coach bags like a, a cool thing? For the poor. Oh, is it? That's like designer... Coach I, bags? I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I didn't know. There's a whole world of designer bags that I learned about. Yeah. Um, so then I, I, I was looking. I didn't recognize a brand. And I and I thought... My first sense, th thought was like, this this rich woman has this one-of-a-kind bag, but it's brandless, and it really is beat up. There's a scene where the bag... The, bottom of the bag no the side of the bag is facing the camera and this is black smudge on it yeah it doesn't look in good shape like mm. initially blair should have instantaneously been what happened to this like i thought that's what yeah. the plot was going to be but worse than that it's not blair's bag they open it up and there is some men's clothing in it and they're like oh fuck you got the wrong suitcase and so um in a moment where there should have been a joke where there wasn't a joke Somebody says, Blair, I thought you said this bag was unique and one of a kind. And Blair just goes, I was wrong. Yeah, and here's the thing. She she doesn't use the right nomenclature. She should have said custom made. Oh. That would have made sense. Or, or customized, like it has special pockets and, you know, a special no. panty no, zipper of, inside. A or panty a, zipper. A, Not, a, I, a tampon dispenser mounted on the... Yeah, with a lotion button that shoots lotion beads at your face and yeah. they dissolve. Yeah. Uh, no, it would be custom made. So you can have bags that are custom made and that would be one of a kind. But she just said there, this is bag is one of a kind, but poor people don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> custom, cust, as I didn't, don't. Custom made, it, that, that would have made sense, right? That's what she means. Is custom. I don't know. It, was, I, well, it stuck I don't out know. to well, me. Well, but the thing is that it's not one of a kind because Natalie grabbed it thinking it was the same and Blair didn't look at it and go, what is that? Like, I don't recognize this bag and have Natalie say, what, it's your thing? And have Blair say, that's not mine, clearly. It's this, this, this is different. And then and then it, it could have been a Blair moment of, Natalie, how could you not see it? And have Natalie be like, oh, excuse me, I'm not an expert on fucking handbags the way Mark Baratelli is. So wouldn't that have been great? That would have been amazing. I could have been a consultant on the show. You could have been. Poor people love Coach. Yeah. You know? Even though in 1986 you were what? Were you were you even 10 years old? I don't know. When was I born? <laughs> when was I born? <laughs> when, when you tell you? me. When? 
So I must have missed about 13 lines in the show, which is very is the par for the course for me. So did she at one point did she point out differences in the bag? Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm you're, saying in is in the show you're right in your version you would. I'm I'm doing my that. rewrite to send in the time machine mm. to the writers, mm. and uh, but yeah, instead it's just Blair. I thought you said this was one of a kind. Guess I was wrong. That's not even a bum bum. It's weird. So I take things really literally sometimes. So I'm like, okay, so maybe the salesperson told her it was custom made, but he was just lying. Right. And that would have been a different punchline to have her say, oh, I have a certain salesman that I'm going to be calling first thing in the morning yeah. over this. Yeah. She, she didn't even care. Yeah, that's it. It was just like she just shrugged it off as opposed to, oh, a harshly worded letter will be composed before the day is over. Something like that. I don't know. So you, the camera is important. We're not going to tell you why. Oh, this bag is important. No, it's not. This is why when you watch this show or this episode, you feel disjointed. Mm -hmm. And You're right. a lot of Tootie's lines are no, no, anger, anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear you. You're, you're so right. Totally right. I just took some improv classes, so it's really forefront of my brain. Yeah. Yeah, you should keep with it, because I think you might be good at improv someday. Someday. Yeah. So then Joe's dad shows up. And this is Alex Rocco reprising his role as Charlie Polnicek. And we love, love Alex Rocco. I love him in this role. I love him as an actor. And I'm sure you recall, I have said, he has the, the dream career any character actor would mm. want. Mm-hmm. Because he was in The Godfather, mm -hmm. and he was in The Cannonball Run Part 2. The both ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he is also, I'm sure you know, uh, is the married man that Dorothy dated on the DL on The Golden Girls. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, he is... Um, I love to point out that uh, I learned this from Ken Reed, actually, the TV guidance counselor, is that Alex Rocco, he's got such a New York thing. You mm -hmm. know, Joe's from the Bronx. He's such a New York dad. He's actually a Bostonian. He was born in Cambridge and raised in Somerville, Massachusetts. And if you do listen to his accent and his dialect, you're like, oh, yeah, that is a lot of there's a lot more Boston going on there than there is New York. Going back a bit, uh, Nancy McKeon has exactly one line reading ever. Uh, ever. Really? Yeah. I feel this way. Either the director has tried to, to get her to go to acting classes, and she's like, no, this is how I'm reading it. I'm reading it. She has one line reading, and it's unpleasant to watch. Oh. I would argue that she has only one thing to play in this entire episode, mm. in that... Okay, let's say it at the same time. Is it one word? Okay, let's do it. Let's say it at the, at the same time. Let's say it. Okay, one, one two, two, three. Skeptitism. I think I pronounced it wrong because I was skepticism. <laughs> Skeptivity. <laughs> That's what happens when you listen while you're skepticism. not skepticism. Skepticism. That's, what did you say? Skepticism. I think I, I, think I said skepticism. <laughs> Well, anyhow, mm. um, well, this this ties right into the continuation of the synopsis. Uh, Charlie comes in and he is wearing a fancy new suit and he's showing off that it's there's no polyester in it. Like it's a nice suit. He's saying he recently quit his job. He's wearing two Rolex watches. What is happening? Joe was like, where's all this money coming from? How are you affording these things? And he says he is rich. He won $300,000 in, and I wrote this down, 
one of those magazine publishers giveaways. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, you know what he's talking about. Publishers Clearinghouse. Yes. Sweepstakes. Commercials yes. were on TV constantly. Yeah. Constantly. And do you remember what the slogan was? If we don't look good, you don't look good. <laughs> Fab Roger, you look in a gray pair of legs. <laughs> Nothing says loving like love. <laughs> hmm? That's a no. I feel like you're laughing I'm, with me. I'm not, not laughing with you. I promise I'm not laughing not with laughing you. Not laughing with I'm me. I'm laughing at you. Uh, yeah, he quotes it. The whole thing is that there was a campaign where Publishers Clearinghouse was literally a big ass envelope that arrived and it made you lick a bunch of stamp-like things, stick them on, and what they hoped you would do is in the process of sending in your sweepstakes, which you could just send in free of charge, you would also lick a stamp or two to get a subscription to a magazine. And and it was uh, cheap. It was a, you know, discounted rate for like the first year and then, you know, you'd keep going and It was a good value. Yeah. So, uh the commercial campaign at this time was um it was Ed McMahon, who was the guy that was the spokesperson, mm-hmm. and he would say, uh, a lot of people think no one wins the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. And then it cuts to Joe Q. Public, the plumber from Iowa, and his family standing around a gigantic check. And they would in unison say, that's what we used to think. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think it's a scam and blah, blah, blah. That's what I used to think. So the joke is, they literally say to Charlie, nobody wins those things, and he says, that's what I used to think. Ha ha! That's why it's funny. Referential humor, ladies and gentlemen. So Charlie has won $300,000. Guess, Mark Baratelli, how much is that in 2021 dollars? I'm so glad you brought this up because I was like, he's going to bring this up. You want me to really guess? Oh, God, I mean, guess I for real. How much, what do you think the equivalent is? 550000 uh, That's low. Interesting. It's, it is higher. I said the, a fake number on purpose to make your number sound higher and to make you look smarter. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Not that, that. you need it, but <laughs> you need it. <laughs> so it is actually just shy of $750,000. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's a lot of money. When they, he said, I want, when he got to three hundred, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but uh, seven fifty. I mean, in today's <sighs> dollars. That's a lot. That's life-changing. Uh, is it? Se- like, if you got 750 right now? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it is life-changing. Me? But, okay, here's the deal, though. We, we live in a different time. Number one, taxes. I believe Joe does oh, bring I up the taxes, taxes later. If I think that the, is it the luxury tax or whatever, I think it's like 40%. It's, it's close to half. So what's so, half of 750 uh, half of three four hundred three seventy two twenty, okay. So that would be three hundred and seventy five thousand mm. uh, dollars. In certain parts of the country, that's a house. Yeah, I was thinking house. In Central Florida, that's again certain parts, mm. like in the city proper, you can't get a decent house for three seventy five at the moment. The real estate market's going crazy. So the best it could give you right now, $750,000 lottery winnings, sweepstakes, whatever. The best it could give you is a house that's paid for, maybe making your mortgage payment go away. Mm. That That is life-changing. That could be certainly 
a thing. But that is not, no. we are quitting our jobs. We are retiring. We're buying a boat. We're going to buy our daughter a, a motorcycle helmet and a motorcycle and a car and a car for myself. And he buys a briefcase with a cell phone in it. A cell phone in 1986? Mm -hmm. I mean, that probably cost... That was probably $200,000 right there in terms of the already from minute one. I'm like, this is a very bad situation. I secretly wish that it had been a little bit more because I feel like I love the character of Charlie and I feel like he's being really stupid. But he's honestly, he's probably like most people because there, there are statistics, aren't they, that like half the people who win the lottery lose it i was thinking it. that's that's what i was gonna say the thing about getting money i want to jump to how he displays how he chooses to display it initially mm -hmm. uh he comes in in a business suit shows a expensive watch and then another one and then has a briefcase and then has a phone these are very very standard 1980s things that represent wall street mm -hmm. true and uh, as I said earlier, you know, I think that Wall Street came probably came out around this time. There was an obsession in the 80s, as we all know, that of like Wall Street and making money and greed is good and everything. Yeah. I think this that's that's why he came out dressed like that and holding these products. I, I totally agree. I think that's and that was a good way to display that. That mm -hmm. was, you know, it was good. They had that um, language, I suppose. Uh, like like today, if someone in a TV show won the lottery, they wouldn't come out with a, I got, you know, I got, I'm going to invest. I mean, yeah, we were, wearing like, a suit was, and a briefcase. Uh, yeah, yeah. What we were, would they do? That's interesting. What would, how would we, it would be in 2021, how would we express someone who was not wealthy suddenly becoming wealthy? How would they look how they, I guess with a woman, it would be. You know, the, the blowout hair, looking like a Kardashian, mm. having the bag and the fingernails, looking like a real housewife of whatever fucking city. Like, I think in women, we could do it and, and even go as far as, you know, you yeah. would tape her face back, give her big blowed up lips and stuff like she'd been to the to the cosmetic surgeon. But yeah, for a man, for a, I don't know how a how man. It's hard. You, it, does, it doesn't come to mind quickly. You know, maybe a, probably an expensive car. But like, what clothes would they wear? Hey, listeners, write in. What would you What would you imagine? What would you see and you think? Jesus, that guy is really trying to show off how rich he is. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, so, in addition to all of these things, the um, what, what really the rest of the episode is is Joe playing her sadly one note thing of. Can we afford this? Can you afford that? Is that a good idea? Do you really have enough? I mean, that's really all she plays the entire episode. Finally, he does kind of win her over mm -hmm. a little bit, particularly with the giving her the motorcycle helmet and saying he's going to buy her a new bike. He read the room at one point. Yeah. The, the Joe likes bicycle, ergo helmet. I mean, mm -hmm. finally. And then the, did you have you mentioned the fur coat? I wasn't listening. We haven't gotten there yet. Go yeah, ahead. He, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, then and conversely to that, not reading the room. He buys Joe a fucking mink coat. What the fuck? Again, I I think that choice, if I had to guess, is it reflects how it's the dynasty era too. True. So that's that fits right in with that, yeah, big hair and yeah, shoulder pads and fur coat fur coat means rich. Yeah. I also wanted to say, if I can butt in or cut in, do that it might have been funny 
if Blair felt in danger of no longer being the only rich one there, threatened is the word, it would have been funny uh, possibly to in, put this in your vault of no return or like for her to go, oh, you know, oh, oh how much money? Oh, gee, oh, oh gosh. Well, if I, if my calculations are correct in 20 years, you could have, oh my gosh, you know? That would be funny. Cute. Yeah. That would have been a cute little one-off. We did have an episode where, remember Joe befriended the older rich lady, was kind of helping her out. This is back in the Eastland years. Yes. And the old woman said that she thought Joe was such a delightful student and said that she was going to leave her fortune to her. Mm -hmm. So then uh, in typical sitcom style, the girls are like, well, Joe is rich now. And Joe is going to be richer than Blair. And they absolutely played that out with Blair feeling threatened and Joe being rich, even though it's like, she hasn't given her a fucking nickel yet. And then they later learn, okay, this is an old lady who basically tells everybody, I'm going to leave my fortune to you and has not done any of that, has done taken no legal steps to do it. It's just talk because she's lonely. So when I said this idea that I felt sprang from my brain, as those words came out of my mouth, were you thinking, this MFR has not listened to my show as much as he says he has? Was that what you were thinking? Um, I wasn't thinking MFR, Mm -hmm. but you Mm. know, when people show you who they are, believe them. Mm. That's all I have to say. The words of Dr. Maya Angelou. Mm. I read today. I read today that Oprah Winfrey admitted that she forgot to make friends. Oh, but Jesus Christ! Yeah. Speaking of Maya Angelou, she didn't make friends. She said, "That's not what I, I. I didn't put effort towards that." So she's got Gail and a big company and no friends. Oh, doesn't that's, mean she's not happy. That's actually an article that's out there. Mm-hmm. Wow, I got to read that. I read. <laughs> I'm a reader. At least one of us does. Uh, So to kind of like continue to play out the rest of the entire show, um, Charlie doesn't really talk about what the game plan is other than he's quit his job and he does say he's doing some investing. So he needs his phone because guys are calling him. He says, Joe, let's go into the city and let's look at an office space I want to rent out. And she's like, why do you need to get an office space? He's like, well, because it's practically a full-time job managing all this money. Um, Um, Can I cut in? Please. He says, you gotta have be somewhere to receive all those calls from all these opportunities. And my thought was, you got a phone in your bag. You got a phone in the car. Now you need a location to have a phone. You are lying, sir. <laughs> lying with a capital L. I, I thought that too. I was like, but I mean, right now. Literally, during COVID, none of us has offices anymore. We have cell phones, and Mm -hmm. we make our office wherever. But I totally thought that. So uh, with all of this shit that Charlie has been buying Joe, including stupid things like a mink coat and clothes in multiple colors, and it's just crazy, Joe finally does a little bit of math. And by her calculations, she's like, he is blowing through this money way too fast, and I've got to tell him. And she can't get through to him, so she goes to meet him in his office at this place in New York City, wherever it is that he's rented this office space. And before we talk about the interaction they have in the office, how about we update them on the B story? Where? Oh, right. the B. I forgot about that. Natalie has called the airport to see if they could maybe track down Blair's luggage, and they can't help her because she threw away the claim check, which you're never supposed to do. What a dumbass. Ugh. 
bitch. She doesn't even have a job. She had she didn't do one thing right the whole trip. <laughs> she showed up. They were like, oh, thank God Natalie can freaking show up. Keep keep a piece of paper. <laughs> she doesn't even own a suitcase. This woman doesn't even own a suitcase. Really? Uh, true. So true. So Andy's role in the show, oh. Andy basically is helping them to do some detective work where he has taken out a, a, a mannequin that I don't know where, I guess it could have been a display thing from the store, but he has a mannequin body in the dining room and he's put some of the clothes from the suitcase on the mannequin and is trying to see if he can deduce who this person might be and where they might find the guy whose clothes these are because he would be the one that has the suitcase. And they're not able to figure it out. It's kind of just filler. And then eventually he finds a matchbook cover. Pause. I wanted to be, when I was little, this kid. Oh yeah? I wanted to be the little kid on Give Me a Break when oh, I was little. Joey these Lawrence. kids were my age, Okay. Uh, I assume. And I remember specifically these two kids going, I want to do that. I belong there. That's what I want to do. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So even then you were maniacally narcissistic or no? I'm sorry. Maybe that was the wrong word. Um, ambitious. There. There. You were artistically ambitious. Um, you didn't. When you watch shows like with kids, did you not, did you not go, that's me. I, I, I'd like to do that. I didn't. No. It's so weird. I did not get the acting bug until later. I did do some performance things, but it didn't occur to me. It could be. Yeah, you, you, it is weird. Like, right. I mean, I grew up, did you grow up watching Zoom? The no, show? but I remember Kids Incorporated. Oh, Kids Incorporated, that thing. And I, I watched those growing up, and at no point ever did I stop and go, that should be me. I belong there with them. That never occurred to me well, as a kid. I'm one of those performers when I was like, I feel like, you know, when they say don't get into acting because you want to be famous, get acting because get into acting because you like acting. I was the former. <laughs> like, why would I go things. into acting if it's not going to get? Oh, well, yeah. No. You know, and here, and here I am. Yeah, and here yeah. you are. Um, but I admit that fully. Like, that's, I, of course I wanted to be famous. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and these two kids were the ones that I was like, I hate you. I want to be you. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So Andy finds this matchbook cover. Talk about a trope. How many tropes are there in like the old, you know, like an old Humphrey Bogart mystery where, well, I'm trying to find a guy, an old, like Charlie's Angels. Oh, look, I found a matchbook cover from this bar. I'm going to go in the bar and make some inquiries and ask around. You know what I mean? That's yeah, it's so dumb. Do you think like old smarty pants Mackenzie Aston? wrote this scene for himself oh, fuck no. and his damn rich mother was like if you don't put this motherfucking kid in this show because <laughs> he hasn't appeared in you know get this kid in his show and they paid and he's like and they, and every time he come you know like he has nothing to do with this whole episode yeah he's really I peripheral like he, yeah. yeah I feel like he slipped him $10,000 I wrote this scene I'm wealthy I'm privileged and they put it okay well he's he's funding the budget for the lighting or something you know <laughs> That's what I think. Well, we could pay to send him to a private school, or we could pay this network TV show to hire him. It's like school. It's like a private yeah. school. Rich people, <laughs> you think they're one way, you know, carrying briefcases and phones, but they're actually putting their kids on TV for 10 grand. <laughs> so this matchbook cover gets them 
the name of a bar or a restaurant or something in New York City. Mm -hmm. So while Joe is going to be going into New York City to see her dad, Blair and Joe and Tootie were going to go in to this bar to try and solve the mystery of where did Blair's suitcase end up. We don't actually see them doing it. Joe goes into her dad's office. That whole scene happens in front of us. And then they are joined by the other three. And basically it's like, yeah, well, we found the place and uh, they put us in touch with this person and uh, we found it. But unfortunately, the guy who had the suitcase, his apartment was being fumigated for bugs. So we have the suitcase, but it stinks of pesticides now. Whoa, wacky. It's like, I don't think the, any human on that set wants to be doing this script. Well, I, not, I don't think any of them, especially those two. Uh, the pregnant like twins. Clear. No, the, preg the pregnant twins. They're like, oh, God. Oh, no. You know, they probably felt the same thing. I feel like that you're saying, like, this is ridiculous. Uh, whatever. The checks but were honey, clearing. But, honey, the checks, yeah, they keep them in ermine and pearls. Ermine. <laughs> er ermine and pearls. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your briefcase and call uh -huh. your office. Um, can I also say this has nothing to do with what we're talking about? But the fur coat, when the fur have we talked about the fur coat? Uh, no, I was gonna. I was actually has gonna that do happened a little, yet? Um, it, it kind of has. I've been doing a general thing, oh, but yeah, let's take I'm a moment sorry. and talk. You're the plot no, no, no. I, I, I have. I did plan to talk about the fur coat. Okay. So well, go. when you get to the fur coat, let me. No, know. no. Talk. No, now you, is... you tell me when the fur coat is. Just it's say, hey, it's time for the fur coat. Hey, Just say, hey, it's time for the fur coat. Hey, and I it's will time read my notes. For the so fur coat, you're in charge now. Hey, it's time. For the fur. Oh, okay. So the there when coat. they pulled the fur coat out, audible gasp. Do, do you remember that? Oh yeah, <gasps> it was a big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. That's mm. it. That's all I had. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting thing I want to do. I did a little bit of a deep dive because talk about a status symbol, a mink coat, big deal. Yes, and they're all female. And they're all, remember Blair said they're all female and they're all sewn so that you can't see any seams. A yeah. seamless, all female mink coat. Yeah, Blair knows her mink coats because Blair is rich and she could uh, determine the quality of this coat. Uh, but she couldn't determine if her piece of luggage was custom made or not. So Blair assessing the quality and value of this mink happens up in the bedroom when Joe is doing her tally of what her dad likely spent on all of the gifts and all the stuff. And so uh, Joe was like, and what is this mink coat worth or whatever? And Blair goes through this whole thing and she says, uh, easily, it's worth 25. And Joe says, okay, 2,500. And Blair goes, no, mm -hmm. 25,000. There and was audible gasp. Uh, yes. Audible. <clears throat> Nobody, y'all you know, have to understand. No one had $25,000 in the 80s. <laughs> this was massive. $25,000 was practically a million dollars. Yeah, really. in today's value, it was a million dollars. $300,000 is worth seven hundred fifty, but $25,000 worth a million. That's inflation for mm -hmm. you. Yeah, explain that, yeah. Uh, President. Yeah, explain that, Common Core. Uh, so... But when that comes out, 25, I'm like, no, no fucking way. In 1986, a mink coat, 25,000. I was like, no. I did a Google search. Guess what, Mark? That's right. Mm. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I was I was going like, are you questioning that <clears throat> it's correct or are you if it's correct? I'm like yeah. that. They just must have done that for a joke. Twenty five hundred versus twenty five thousand. Did they do their research? Is that really what a mink coat would have cost them? It did. Yeah, the thing the thing I I mean, this is I didn't know anything about fur, but the thing about rich people stuff is some rich people stuff you literally cannot have unless you're rich. You know, a lot of times a lot of times there are accessible products that are linked to rich products. Like you can go and get a, you know, a Gucci wallet or a pair of uh, Chanel shoes and they're affordable, they're attainable, but the really actual products made for rich people, the prices are insane. Like oh. you just reacted to. Like they're <clears throat> like I don't I can't fathom. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the web and the part of the search that came up was the mink coat is becoming obsolete. And that is because in Denmark in late November of 2020, so almost a year ago, some of the bloated bodies of of the millions of minks culled on government orders earlier that month because of fears of a potentially vaccine-resistant COVID mutation rose out of the ground like zombies. As a result of the cull, the world's largest fur auction house, Copenhagen Fur, announced it would close. So the government of Denmark, which apparently is a place where a lot of the minks come from for coats, they thought that minks were carrying a vaccine-resistant mutation of COVID and ordered them all to be killed. How did they rise from the ground? Like they, zombies. They weren't, they weren't dead? So according to this article from the New York Times, uh, the Can minks are dead. This is so This sad. is crazy, isn't it? So they, I don't know how they killed them or how humane. I'm sorry, animal rights activists. But uh, apparently, as the bodies of the dead minks were decaying, gases were formed, which causes the thing to expand a little. And in this way, the worst case, the minks actually get pushed out of the ground. <laughs> It's a natural process, but um, it's that's a, a natural process. That doesn't sound natural to me. Yeah, right? that doesn't. <laughs> First of all, the damn animal has to be so close to the surface of the dirt. Where the hell are they burying a million? Uh, how is a uh, government it's all, ordered dead minks? Well, that's that happens in America, right? When there's a when when chicken get E. coli, the government says you have to oh. kill them all, or, or you know, okay, maybe. Maybe. I don't Sounds know. Sounds good. Sure. We'll go with that. Anyway, I will post the article and the link about it. But um, the other thing in this original article says, during its peak in the early 1980s, a mink coat typically cost $8,000 to $50,000, but could go above 400000 for all belly black Russian mink, which is apparently the, that's the uh, creme de la creme. I think this was, if you go back and watch it, I think that she didn't use the word belly, but she said she did define they were female and she defined which side of the thing uh, was on that coat. And I swear she said the word nipple at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, so minks, mink coats started to go away and go out of fashion, starting with the stock market crash in 1987, which is the year after this. And that's where it took down a lot of the uh, mink uh, fur processing places with it. Uh, And then uh, lower quality, but more affordable 
minks started coming out of China in the 1990s. So furriers had to diversify, and mink was no longer the only game in town. Fendi is still making fur products. Are they really? Huge amounts, yeah. I did not know that. Like when you go into most of the stores in New York City, I don't see a lot of fur, but Fendi is like, come up to the second floor, honey. That's where it all is. And you just walk around, it's, everything's made of fur. You're like, who the hell is buying this? Like, bring me a damn can of red paint right now. Yeah, can I have the vest? <laughs> hmm? There's a great interchange here where Joe says to her dad, look, you're spending too much. You got to stop. I don't need this stuff. You don't need to buy me any more presents. And he goes, okay, you're right. And she says, and I'm quoting, good. I thought I was going to come down here and you'd be stubborn and wouldn't listen. And it would take me all day to convince you. And then she pauses and says, why didn't it take me all day to convince you? Like, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. That was way too easy a win for me. Yeah, that's not the reaction I expected. Yeah, that was nice. And then he says, I already lost it all. And she's like, what? I thought you at least had 50 grand or something left. And he's like, nope, I invested it in oranges. She's like, oranges? Well, orange groves in Florida, but there was an unexpected frost. So uh, she never has a moment where she chastises him. That would have been interesting. There's never a moment when Joe gets really angry. And this would have been a good moment for the audience to be chastised as well, because what better time to talk about the, the unimportance of material things than the 80s, mm-hmm. you know? And also, he's the dad, and the only way he can show, well, one of the ways he shows love is by buying things. She, she should also chastise him and then come around and have the great speech that she has at the end, which I loved. Yeah. Which I'm sure you're going to quote right now. I I am not. Oh. But what it boils down to is... (laughs) But the thing really is that, yes, she doesn't chastise him, but he also doesn't really chastise himself. He doesn't say it, but there's a sense of, uh, maybe I was crazy to think I could be a high roller. I guess, you know, well, that's that sort of a thing. Um, He's not down on himself. Mm -hmm. And he's not like... The good thing is he's not like, I don't understand it. I I had all this money and now it's gone. I mean, he clearly owes up to that. And the nice thing she says at the end is like, I don't need all of this stuff. It's basically, you're enough for me, dad. Just be my dad. And that's all the wealth I need in the world. That's not what she says verbatim. I'm no, yeah, he's like, don't you want to eat dinner uptown sometimes? And she's like... I don't want to eat dinner uptown. I like a bag. Remember bag lunch in the in the Central Park? Remember that? It's like he's here. Wow. That was Joe. That was Joe. Okay, I'm sorry. It's like she's here. Um. Yeah. Like it would have been a great moment to talk about materialism and, and agreed and and showing love through a physical. A- and she even says like physical. She does say at some point like. Stuff isn't really worth a lot to me. I something like that. It was well, something positive, but they would they would have been a great like cut out the pregnant twins line. No stuff. Cut it. Cut them out of the show stop. completely. Um, bring more of the kid in towards the big, beginning, but then let let's have a big dramatic scene at the end, a big all in the family scene. You know, the eighties are not about phones and suitcases, Dad. The eighties are terrible, and at one sometime this is all gonna fall apart like a house of cards. What's important is we've got each other and us. And we both are, you know. And then he would have said, 
you're right. And she, and then she would have been like, oh, I, gee, I, I have, I have yes. a lot more. It would have fit right in. Yeah, right? Like I have a lot. Pocket. I had a lot more, but I didn't expect to, to, you know, turn you so quickly. And that's when he could say, I, that's because it's already gone. I, like she, she could be saying, if you don't stop it, you're going to lose everything. All that. He could say, I already kind of did. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That could have been really nice to do it that way. What I do appreciate in the episode, the way they do handle it is she says, you know, I didn't need all that stuff. And he says, why didn't you tell me? And she says, I did tell you. And he's like, well, why didn't I listen to you? Or something like that. Let me tell you what, I'm going to stop you right there. Do. At no moment, in, and you can go back and read this script from top to bottom. At no moment did that woman tell that man, I refuse to take this gift. Not one time. So she's a fat liar. <laughs> true. True. Um, yeah. In, in that, mm -hmm. she could have been more forceful. But I think part of what's going on with it, and they could have addressed this too if they didn't spend so much time with Mackenzie Aston and the friggin' clothes on the mannequin, is that she gets caught up in a little bit. Like, it's when he gives her the helmet yes, exactly. and offers her the bike, there's kind of like this sense of, well, okay, if, I mean, if you say so, it's all right. And then maybe it could have been cool if Blair, her girlfriend, was the one that said, Joe, do you know how much that fur coat costs? She says, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I see all the stuff he's been giving you. I don't think he has enough money for this. Yes, it, that would have been great. Yeah. That would have been great in there. And again, it would have been, oh, yeah, Blair, because you're rich, you understand money, and we're poor, so we don't. Never be like, no, sweetie, I understand math, and what you're doing does not add up. Mm. Put that in the damn time machine. And that would, that's great. And that would have aligned with her little moment where he says, oh, I'm going to get, you know, some hot dividends or something. Someone goes, what's a dividend or whatever the word was. Yeah. And she explains it. like He's investing in futures and Blair explains yeah. what futures are. Yeah. Yeah. She like robotically knows it, it, spells it out exactly what it is. Yeah. That would have fit in with that too. It would have totally. Like, that's look, great. Look, honey, I, you, this is what poor people do. <laughs> You've got to stop him now before it's too late. Ah, he's just my dad. He would never do that. Yeah. Honey, I've seen it a hundred times. True. Our, our employees, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because um, we have a lot of poor people that work for us, and we've seen it happen they so can't many hold, times. We give them $10, they eat it. <laughs> Honey, it's not food. Ugh, where's my non-custom-made bag? So, speaking of the custom, non-custom-made bag, so completing this, this ring cycle of comedy here. After Joan that and Dad... That's uh, Lord of the Rings, right? No, the ring cycle is an actual opera. Okay, by, go on. By Let's Wagner. We'll cut yes. that part out. And, uh, oh, no, no, I'm going to leave that in so people can hear. Mm. Okay. So to wrap up the episode and give us a wacky ending, mm. after Joe and her dad have this nice moment, and uh, then we've heard about the suitcase situation and the pesticides. Well, Tootie is like, uh, camera, 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 fucking camera. And so she goes out into the hallway, retrieves the suitcase, Opens it up. There's no camera. What? At which point, they start pulling out the clothes and going, these aren't Natalie's clothes either. And so they're like, are you telling me there are three one-of-a-kind suitcases? At which point, uh, Tootie says, oh, never mind, Natalie. It's okay. Look, I found an address and a phone number. In the suitcase. So whoever suitcase this belongs to, 
we can contact them. And before she has a chance to go on, Natalie says, forget it, Tootie. I love these clothes and they're my size. Ha ha! Freeze frame, roll credits, hilarity. And so uh, with that, we're, we're done with this episode. I mean, it's called Big Time Charlie. And yeah, Charlie did kind of hit the big time, but then quickly fell from grace. But I guess the good thing and the thing I do like about the episode is that uh, it didn't affect his relationship with Joe. She did not think less of him. And uh, the, the suitcase secondary story, eh, whatever, was fine. Yeah, this is kind of a middling episode for me. Middling to good, but more middling. I would have called this episode, If You Give a Broke a Dollar. <laughs> you give a broke? What you call a broke person? That's what Blair calls him. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I've enjoyed not just uh, this crazy recording, fun, happy stuff, but also our socializing time uh, before that. So I hope you'll want to come back and do it again. Thank you so much for inviting me. Matthew Arter's shoes are large to fill. I find the both of you extremely funny and absolutely engaging. So uh, thanks for letting me fill in. Well, I know that Matthew is listening. And uh, yeah, so until next time, smooches and goodbye. And there you have it. That was Mark Baratelli. The only other point I didn't get to make was, I really wish Joe had said something to Charlie about, you could have paid for my tuition for school. <laughs> he does mention earlier in the episode uh, that he could send her to Europe for a fancy education if she wasn't happy at Langley, but uh, it would have been nice if one of the two of them referenced the fact that Joe paying for college has always been a struggle and a source of concern and it would have been nice if he had said, at the very least, oh, I already sent the money in and prepaid for your senior year. But I think sometimes I, I might be asking too much, you know? Anyway, next week we're going to be watching Season 7, Episode 23, called The Graduate. You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com or on Pluto TV. I will post links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>